Red Rocks Church, my friends. How are you guys doing? Good? <laughs> Love it. Let's do this. Let's greet everyone at all of our campuses, Arvada, Evergreen, Lakewood, Littleton, Brussels across the pond. Of course, we love you guys so much. And let's do this at all of our campuses. Let's give such a gracious round of applause. All the men and women at God Behind Bars, we love you guys so much. We believe in you guys so much. So grateful that we get to worship with you week in and week out. If you're uh, visiting with us, um, first of all, uh, at any of our campuses, I just want to say on behalf of our whole staff, thank you for uh, choosing this place. Thank you for blessing us with your attendance. We pray and hope, man, that you have an incredible weekend in worship with us. We want you guys to know when you walk through these doors that as Sean says all the time, we're a bunch of imperfect people serving a perfect God who through his son calls us perfect when we know that's not the practical case. Isn't that good news? He calls you perfect right now no matter what you walked into any of our campuses with. That's just who you are in Christ. Here's another thing. If you came here and you don't believe what we believe, we want you to know this. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. Now, disclaimer, we're gonna unapologetically preach to you what we believe because we think <laughs> it's the most life-transforming thing on planet Earth. We think it's in your best interest to hear what we believe. But if you just come here for a cup of coffee or because people just seem to be extra nice or you just want a place to come and be in what we call like a haven of hope, then just know this, you don't even have to believe to belong here. I think it might happen after a while, but that's just because that's what I see all the time. But you just know that you are welcome here. You are welcome here. If you missed the last couple of weeks, we're in just kind of this quick mini series that we have titled The Mountain. And the reason we did that was because there are uh, just some extremely important moments in the redemptive story that take place on mountains. God is notoriously in the business of using mountains to do some of his best and most important spiritual work, which is pretty cool, being that a lot of us, minus Brussels, we, we live in front of a bunch of mountains, right? A bunch of you this whole summer, you've been hiking 14ers, right? How many of you hands, hands raised 14 why would you do that? <laughs> I'm obviously not a native from here, so it's not in my blood. I was a beach kid, so I get all that stuff. But walking up 14,000 feet of incline makes no sense to me at all. But bless you guys for doing it. So we're in uh, the second week of my two talks. I said this would be kind of a two-part series. Sean, if you missed it, it was an awesome uh, message he did where he went to Mount Horeb where Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice Isaac. You can go back and watch that. It's an incredible message that's spurring on the faith that we have. And then last week I went, because I'm a foodie, I went to Mount uh, Carmel. And this is this awesome fighting scene between Elijah, the great prophet, and the 450 false prophets, the prophets of Baal. And as if you missed last week, let me just give you a quick backdrop so we pick up in a good spot. Uh, the, the prophets of Baal were the prophets of the national worship of Israel. There was an extremely evil king named Ahab, and he mar married an even more evil woman than him who wasn't even a part of Jerusalem by birth and DNA, and her name was Jezebel. And the nation was at an all-time low. They were steeped, and they were neck deep in idolatry. And we know, we talked about it last week, anytime that happens long enough, man, eventually you're going to experience drought. And that's what happened. The great man of God, Elisha, he prayed that it would quit raining because he wanted them to sit under the judgment and under the weight of their bad decisions, their idolatry, their false worship. So he prays and for three and a half years, it doesn't rain. And then God's finally going, okay, I'm sick of this. This is gonna come to a head. And so he calls Elijah out of hiding. 
He says, go get King Ahab. Him and Ahab talk, and they set up some rules for a big fight on the top of Mount Carmel. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites would gather around at the bottom of that mountain, and they told them the rules, which is the 450 prophets of Baal are going to call down fire. And then after that doesn't work, wink, wink, then I'm going to pray to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, in other words, and he's actually going to send fire so that you guys then have a decision to make about who you really believe because at that time, Israel's national God was not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is hard for me to even fathom. It was the God of Baal and the secondary God known as Asherah. And so as we saw last week, if you missed it, go back and listen online. It all came to a head. The prophets danced and they sang and they did these incantations and eventually it just got gross and they started cutting themselves, trying to trip the heart of their false God named Baal and they never got fire from heaven. And then last week we saw in just 20 second prayer, right? Because you get God's ear, as we talked about last week, when God has your heart. You don't have to do eight hours of crazy, right? And in a 20 second prayer, Elisha prays and calls down fire from heaven. The very next thing that happens right before where we're about to pick up, the Bible says that everyone in Israel fell prostrate, straight on their faces, and they cried out, he is God, Yahweh. He is God. He is God. And they started to repent. And what I said last week, and I'll say it again, is repentance in the kingdom of God always precedes rain. Rain is a sign of blessing, just like drought in the old covenant was a sign of judgment, right? So right after where we picked up last week, the first thing Elisha does is he prays to God. It says seven times. And on the seventh time, which is in the old covenant, again, it's a number of completion. On the seventh prayer, it started to rain. It didn't just start to rain, man. It started to uh, torrential downpour, right? We're talking tons of rain, which was crazy. And then it says the next thing that Elisha did, which I don't understand this, but it says he sprinted to the king's town ahead of the king's chariots. And if you do the geography, it's real simple to know he almost ran a marathon. It's just over from Mount Carmel to the town that they were going back to. 20 miles he ran. After that long day, right, of fighting the prophets of Baal, fighting the evil forces. And this is where we pick up. King Ahab eventually gets back to his town and he tells the big bad wolf, his wife Jezebel, what had just happened. Let's read. (laughs) Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Keep in mind, these were her hand-chosen prophets, so the girl is about to lose her mind. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha to say, listen to this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them, okay? She just says, hey, you go tell Elijah where he's, wherever he's at, if by this time tomorrow I don't put a sword through him and kill him the same way he just did to my 450 prophets of Baal, then my God, who wouldn't happen anyways because it's a false God, is going to deal with me ever so severely. Now, here's what I don't get next, because what we're about to read to me on the surface makes no sense until you dig a little deeper. Listen to what it says next. Elisha said, bring it on, woman, you ain't got nothing on me. (laughs) Didn't say anything like that. We're talking big, bad Elisha. Do you realize what he just did a day before this? It says, Elisha was afraid, to which I say, what? And then it says, he ran for his life, to which again I say, what? (laughs) Let me, in case you're missing this, I'm not. Let me just remind you, he just prayed. 
that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. That's a man of God. That's a man of courage and a man of faith, right? Then he calls this big fight on the mountain. Right before that, if you read in your Bible in chapter 17, do you know what he did right before this? He raised a kid from the dead. You want to talk about awesome. You want to talk about a man of faith. Then he has this huge fight with the prophets of Baal on the mountain. He talks amazing trash like we saw last week to them. Then when it doesn't work for them, he calls down fire from heaven. He wins the fight handily. He kills them all with the sword. Then he gets the whole nation of Israel to fall on their faces and repent. Then he prays seven times and gets rain back after three and a half years. Then he almost runs a marathon to get to the town ahead of the king. This guy all of a sudden gets one threat from from a woman and he's afraid and he's running for his life? You gotta ask yourself, what in the world's going on with this guy? But you need to understand this, Red Rocks, when you look deeper into the story and when you get honest about the reality of humanity and who we are, I want you to understand this. Elijah in that moment when he's afraid of Jezebel and when he's on the run from Jezebel, he's not being disingenuous. He's not a hypocrite. I know what some of you think, because some of you think this about Sean and I. He's not awesome on the mountain and then a totally different person off the stage. It's not it at all. Do you know what Elijah is? Are you ready for this? He's tired. He's tired. Sean and I's boss and mentor, the, the, the woman who, who believed in us when we didn't believe in ourselves and gave us jobs and, and, and let us be pastors at her church, she used to say this to us, to, this, uh, to us all the time. She'd say, gentlemen, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. He's not really scared of Jezebel. He's not really, in the grand scheme of things, afraid of her. Do you know what he is? He's depleted. He has nothing left to give. He just spent everything he's had raising a kid from the dead, calling rain back down, killing the 450 prophets of Baal, and then just to top it off for dessert, running almost a marathon. I don't know why he would do that. Same way you guys climb 14ers. It doesn't make sense, but he did it. He's tired. And if you, if you hear nothing else this weekend, here's what I want you to hear. Uh, write this down if you're taking notes. The enemy, and in this case, Jezebel, represents the enemy. The enemy gets the loudest when your tanks are the lowest. The enemy always gets the loudest in your mind. Life feels the most dramatic. You start to get fearful about things that the other day wouldn't have made you scared. You start to play small. You start to pull back in life. And half the time we start to think we're hypocrites. Half the time other people will start to think you're hypocrites. Half the time people will think your faith is disingenuous because you talk such a mean game on Tuesday and now it's Friday and you're a completely different person. Now you're a wreck. And half the time the problem isn't even spiritual. The problem is practical, right? The enemy gets the loudest in your life when you're tanks. And when I say you're tanks, I'm talking about your spiritual tank. It's just like a gas tank. We all have one. And the goal is to continually go through it and then replenish it. We have physical tanks. The goal is to go through it, sweat it out, and then start over, right? Replenish. Put nutrients back in your body and then do it again. We all have emotional tanks. And they get empty. And when those things get empty, we don't get pretty, right? And we have intellectual tanks. And guess what, guys? Those get empty as well. And our job, life is just about the stewardship of those tanks. Predators in the animal kingdom, we, we've been told and scientifically, uh, they know that animals can smell fear when they're on their prey. And once they can smell fear on their prey, their minds tell them to pounce, right? 
The way a dog can smell fear and will pounce on someone is the way the devil smells fatigue. He loves fatigue, man. He wants you immoral. He wants you crazy. He wants your thought life so jacked up. And here's what he'll do. He'll do what he does with Elijah. He'll say, hey, I know the truth, which is greater is God that is in you than he that is in the world. So I'm going to give you that victory on the mountaintop. I'm going to give you that awesome spiritual week. I'm going to give you that killer month where you and God are just locked in. And I'm going to back away. I'm not even going to push. I'm not even going to get in the way, man. I'm going to make it feel like after that month of awesome spirituality between you and God, that all problems are solved and you figured out the whole secret to life and you and God are good for the next four decades. And in that spirituality, man, your tank's going down. And then eventually when your tank's slow, here's what he does. He pounces. Listen, verse three, let's pick the story back up. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, Elisha left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's on the run now. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. He says this, I've had enough, Lord. The great courageous fighter is now under a tree by himself on the run from a woman who made one threat. I've had enough, Lord. Ready for this? Take my life. You ever said that? It's over. I'm done. Take my life, God. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's not even remotely true. If you're new to church, let me tell you who Elisha is. One time, Jesus, when he was on earth, he took his three guys that were going to lead the church, Peter, James, and John, up to another mountain. If we had more weeks, we would talk about that mountain. And we can now call it the Mount of Transfiguration because when Jesus went up there, he transfigured his body into what heavenly bodies look like and he invited a couple of heavenly guests. And you know who one of the two guests was? Elisha. And now he's saying, I'm no better than my ancestors. You know what we're all saying? No, you're a five-star general in the kingdom of God. So much of why we get to sit here today under the new covenant is because of what this man did in his lifetime faithfully under the old covenant. This guy's not old and bad like his ancestors. This guy's amazing. But when you're tired, it is almost impossible to be rational and faith-filled and realistic about what God speaks over you. Goes on to say, so he laid down under the bush and finally he does something right. He falls asleep. So he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank. And then you ready for this? What's he do next? He lay down again. Brilliant. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and he drank. And then you ready for this? This sounds so unspiritual and yet it's so profoundly spiritual. Strengthened by what? Food. That was half the problem. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It wasn't I'm no good. It wasn't Jezebel so tough and I'm not courageous. It wasn't I'm a hypocrite and duplicit. It was, dude, you need to eat, Right? That's what it was. Strengthened by food, what's he do? He gets back to his old self. He travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches another famous mountain, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah's gripped by fear of this woman. Elisha is so tired that he is completely faithless. Elijah is obviously depressed, so much so that he has suicidal tendencies. God, it's over. Take my life. You know what God's amazing spiritual answer is? Somebody quick, go and quote scripture over him. Somebody quick, pray. Somebody fast for Elijah because his life's on the line. What are we going to do? Somebody hold a church service real fast. God doesn't say that at all. Two naps, two meals. We're good to go. <laughs> good to go. 
We sometimes overcomplicate things in the kingdom of God. And I stand up here guilty as anyone, man. In my job and in my profession, I have such a temptation to too often over-spiritualize everything, right? Because you expect that from me. I expect that from me. But too often, sometimes the problem is not spiritual. Sometimes it's biological, physiological. Sometimes when you're freaking out and you think life's over, God's up there going, you're just tired. You need a nap. (laughs) You need a really good meal, right? God had an incredibly practical answer to what sounded like a deep spiritual problem. And I thought about that this week because uh, my son, this time last week, he was on his way to Chatfield High School to try out for the fifth grade basketball team. And fifth grade is about when it starts getting serious, like the high school coaches there watching the tryouts. They got divisions for the first time. Now everyone doesn't get to play the same amount. They're not giving medals and ribbons to everyone. Now it's getting real, right? And he understood that. And so he was really nervous. And I was, you know, at the church preaching last weekend and his mom was driving him to the tryouts and she could tell how nervous he was because he got real quiet and he's not normally real quiet. And she said, Jude, I want to pray for you, son. And he said, okay. And they started to pray because we just, that's a lot what we do, man. We, we, when you're in trouble, what do you do? You pray, right? That's a good thing. And halfway through her prayer, when I got home that night, she told me this and we were laughing. Halfway through her prayer, he stopped her and he cut the prayer off and he said, mom, Could you just put on DJ Snake? I want to hear Turn Down for what? (laughs) Mid-prayer. Didn't even let her finish. She goes, what? And he goes, I just get fired up when this song plays. And I want to get fired up for basketball, right? Now, I've since learned in the last week, because I knew I was going to bring this up, what Turn Down for what means. So we're going to redirect that song to something else with a cool beat. But here's what I want you to understand. With the innocence of a kid, he just says what, what, what we should learn and remember as adults, but we forget this. He's like, hey, this doesn't call for prayer right now, Mom. You know what I need? I need to get some beats going. I need to get fired up. I'm about to go into competition, right? I remember my high school football days. We were all awful. We thought we were awesome. And I was late 80s, early 90s, right? And it was, for us, it was Thunderstruck by ACDC right before the football game. Whoa, thunder. And we're like headbutton lockers and acting all tough. We were so tiny. We were, we were horrible. But man, when that song came on, we thought that team's about to be Thunderstruck, right? We didn't want to sit around and pray right before. And I know we've gotten better in teams pray, and that's great and awesome. But sometimes we over-spiritualize it. My son wasn't being bad. My son has no clue what turned down for what means. Again, we'll redirect him to a new song, so don't email me. I found out. I went on to Urban Dictionary. I know what it means, all right? <laughs> but with such innocence, he just said sometimes, like, hey, this is, this is what I, I need right now to this problem. I need a practical answer, not this spiritual answer. There's a time to pray, right? We know that. There's a time to pray, but there's a time to play. And both are equally sacred, but we pit them against each other because on paper, one seems so much more sacred and biblical than the other, and it's not just true. Here's why. Stick with me. We are, we are mind, body, and spirit. You understand that? We are Trinitarian. We are image bearers of God our Father, God His Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three in one, and we bear their image. Do you know what we are? We are three in one. We are body Physical bodies, dust in God's breath, right? But we are also soul. And when I say soul, I'm talking about your intellect. 
I'm talking about your will and I'm talking about your emotions. That's what your soul is. But then we also have the spirit of Christ living in us. This is why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 says, it says this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. You hear that? Listen to this. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You think he would just say spirit because spirit's the only thing transcending the grave, right? We're getting new bodies on the other side of the grave. 1 Corinthians tells us they're going to be incorruptible, indestructible. They're going to be awesome. They're going to be flawless, without sickness, without disease, without pain, without any temptation towards sin. That's the new bodies we're getting. Our intellects are going to work at their absolute full capacity all of the time. The only thing on this side of heaven that we're keeping is our spirits. And so the temptation on this side of heaven is to downplay our physical bodies and taking care of them. But the Bible makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians, your body is the temple right now of that spirit that's going to transcend the grave. Therefore, we have an incredible responsibility, not just to our spiritual tank, but to our physical tank. Biology is profoundly spiritual on this side of heaven. And too often, the church just turns it into always a spiritual issue. Everything's a spiritual issue. And that's not just true. It's mind, it's body, it's emotions, it's your will, it's your intellect. And listen to me, when you study God the Father in the Bible, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity, they celebrate and serve each other flawlessly. There's rhythm, there's cadence, there's honor to them. They're never talking against each other. They're never pitting themselves against each other. None ever talk in the word of God against each other like one job is more important than the other. If you read the relationship and, the, and the, the beautiful synergy between the Trinity, that's what we're called to with our mind, our bodies, our souls, our spirit, is to have that kind of synergy. We don't pit one against the other. We don't make one more important than the other. Your job in taking care of your physical health is to get the utmost out of your spirit. You have the spirit of Christ in you, but we're called to keep in step with the spirit. And so many times people fall short of the fullness of the power of God in them, not because they don't love God and not because they don't pray and read the Bible a lot. It's because they eat horrible and then they spiritualize it and they turn it into something that God's not turning into. God's like going, no, 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 no. You need, I love your passion for the Bible, but you need to get a little passion for some broccoli, bro. You're over-spiritualizing this, man. You're over-complicating this. I love how you pray with such fervency, but guess what? Every now and then, I want you to go break a sweat with some fervency. Do some CrossFit, man. Go run a mile or two. Like, it's going to honor your spirit. And when, 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 you, when you do those things, when you, when you cultivate your mind, when you read, when you learn, man, we should be the best learners on planet Earth. Christians too often over-spiritualize everything scientific and mathematic and intellectual because it doesn't matter. All of that is just catching up to God. Well, no, no, no. We should be the best scientists, the best mathematicians, the best engineers on planet Earth because we, we get to unlock the mysteries that God already knows about. Right? We, we shouldn't pit intellect against our spirits. Our intellect are there to confirm what the spirits already whisper into us about the truth. Our intellect is to just bring some evidence to what those whispers are from our spirit. They're not to be pitted against each other. They're not to be ranked. They're to be honored synergistically and rhythmically. That's what we do. We celebrate and serve body, mind, and spirit. Uh, 
Last week, I think it was, my wife and I had been feeling for a while compelled to have a uniquely spiritual week where we said we try and do this every now and then where we together unified set aside some time to pray and fast and worship in some degrees that week that we normally wouldn't or couldn't so we block off our calendars we uh, get uh, some time that is specifically set aside that is extra above and beyond the normal rhythm of our week and so all last week my wife and I dedicated that week to praying and fasting seeking the face of God for our lives, for this church, for our kids, family, everything. It's just a good thing to do. And it was an incredibly sacred, man, I wish, I, I'm, it's between God and us. I wish I could share with you. I don't feel right about that. We just had some incredible moments with the Lord. It was beautiful. No one can ever take from me how sacred and how real and how authentic it was because, man, we were, we were focused on our spirits, we were singly focused on the health of our spirits. But you know what we did? We, we, from Sunday night to Sunday night, fasted and prayed. And do you know what we did Monday after that fast was done? Date night. And can I tell you this? And I'm not saying this to make a point. I, this is 100% true. When we went out to dinner, it was as sacred as when we skipped dinner. It wasn't a matter of which one was more important. It's a matter of which one's more important in the moment. Both are sacred and honoring to God. We had such an incredible talk. We laughed. We had incredible food that we had missed a little bit the week before. We had good food. We had a little bit of junk food. And then right when uh, parents of four kids, 11 and under, are supposed to go home, you know what it is. If you got young kids, here's what you do. You talk a mean game about what your date night's going to be. And then about 7.30 when dinner's over, you're like, you just want to go home? Go to bed? You're like, yeah, because you're just tired, right? We're getting ready to do that again. And something in me rose up and said, "Uh uh-uh. And I just pulled over at the the Southwestern Plaza and we went to round one and we bowled for about two hours, just me and her. And it was spiritual. (laughs) It was divine. I could feel God as much as I felt him when we were praying and fasting. Because that is what God called for in that moment. That's That's what Elijah needed. He wasn't really suicidal. He wasn't really depressed. He needed food and a nap. You know what my wife and I needed after that week of of really fixating on our spirits? We needed to just go have fun. And it was sacred. And I could feel the presence of God that whole meal. And we felt so much joy when we were bowling. See, sometimes God will call for a fast. But sometimes he'll call for a feast. And on paper, the fast is always going to look more spiritual. Listen to me, it's not. What's most spiritual is what God is calling you to do in that moment. That's where joy comes from. Sometimes he'll ask you to fast. Sometimes he'll say, it's time for a feast. Sometimes he'll say, it's time to kneel. Sometimes he'll say, it's time to nap. Both are equally sacred. I believe there's a scripture where God gives sleep to those he loves. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes God will say, it's time to pray. And then sometimes God will speak to your heart and say, it's time to play. Sometimes God will say, it's time to read more of that Bible. And then sometimes God will say, put the Bible down, put on the running shoes, and just go get your endorphins up. That's the most sacred and spiritual thing you can do right now. Do you know some of my most spiritual moments when I'm preparing for sermons is at the gym when my endorphins are up? Because there is a biological degree of clarity that we were more intended to have before sin got in the way than when you're exercising, than when you're doing anything else on planet Earth. Exercising is profoundly spiritual when you keep it in its proper place because there is a clarity about life and about things that you can't get when you're more sedentary. 
And yet we're always going to make exercise less spiritual than praying or fasting or reading the Bible, right? And again, it's not which one is more important. It's not which one outranks one. It's which one is most important in the moment. Spiritual life is about discerning the season. It's not as systematic as we think, man. It's equal part science and it's equal part art. Sometimes God says read more. Sometimes he says go run. Sometimes the most thing God wants you to do is read the Bible. More of the Bible. You, some of you, that's what he's saying right now. You just need more of the Bible, man. You need more of the truth. There is not a lot of truth in you and you are weak because of it. Some of you, it's not more Bible, it's more broccoli. You've, you've, you're convinced that the enemy's against you and that all of this stuff is happening to your body and all of this stuff. And, and I, trust me, there's a time where, where, where something happens to you physically and it was outsourced by the enemy of hell, period. I'm not trying to say that that's not possible, but I wonder how many times in our culture we blame something on the spiritual world when we just need more broccoli. Man, I'll quote more verses over my type 2 diabetes. Stop that. Eat more broccoli. I have it. So I'm not, you go, you're going to write me, hey, that was very, I, no, my father has, I have, we, we, me and my dad joke, we call it self-inflicted diabetes, right? But I've told you before, we're faith men, so we call it livabetes. We're like, not for us. We're going to be healthy, guys. We speak in faith. It's livabetes. But, but long ago, I quit trying to spiritualize this attack on my body and said, you know what? Let me take a look at my diet. Because God has clearly given us food that synergistically metabolizes through our body and brings honor to him because it gives you the strength and the vitality for your spirit to be everything it's supposed to be. So again, it's not a matter of which ones. You know what? Sometimes you need the Bible. In fact, I think I'll title the message. Band, you can come out. I've, I've said my piece. I think I'll title the message this this weekend. Sometimes you need more Bible. Sometimes you need more broccoli. And sometimes you need more bowling. <laughs> and one is not more spiritual than the other. It's a matter of what is God calling you to do most in that moment. I wrote in my notes here, spirituality is ultimately finding the glory of God in all activity. That's what spirituality is. So the question isn't uh, praying more, Bible more, eating right more, exercising more, reading more. The question is what in life is going to most heighten the glory of God in me and through me more? And for all of us in different seasons of life, that question is different. Some of you need a fast right now. You need the Bible more than anything. You, you have the best abs in Colorado and you can't quote one Bible verse. You know what God's calling you to. He's saying, hey, we're going to get in the truth. And some of you, man, your spirits couldn't be stronger, but you don't get the fullness of your spirit. And the, 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 this, the people in your life aren't blessed with the best of you because you're so physically unhealthy. And, and you've ranked them. And so you've talked yourself into the fact that, that maybe getting out and walking or breaking a sweat or eating a little bit more health food, man, that's unspiritual because we're getting new bodies anyways. That's crazy. God gives you a car and trusts you with it, and because it's not a new model, you're not going to take care of it? God gave you the body you have to steward, and it's broken, and it's flawed, and it's imperfect, and you're going to get sick sometimes, and you're going to struggle with disease sometimes, and you're going to break something every now and then. But our job is to take care of those things because they house the Spirit of God that is your power to walk in this lifetime in joy. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or whether you drink, I love that he didn't say whether you fast or pray. 
I love it. He, he's talking about, he's trying to show the church in Corinth, hey, eating is deeply sacred. You have to have it for sustenance. It's an incredible way to bring unity when done right. It's a beautiful expression of hospitality because these people were inviting people into their homes. And then it's sacred in the sense that Jesus said, hey, around the supper table is where I want you to make sacred my life, my broken body, my shed blood. And so Paul goes, hey, if you eat or drink, and then he says this, whatever you do, if you bowl on date night, do it for the glory of God. You know why we went bowling? We needed to have fun. We had just been, our spiritual tank was low. Do you know what helped our spiritual tanks get healthy again? Breaking a sweat, laughing, talking trash to each other. I destroyed her in bowling. It was awesome. <laughs> I let her know about it unapologetically. Whatever you, I think of this, cliched or not, I don't care because I love the guy. I think of Tim Tebow, man. That guy is the personification of using what God gave him and maximizing it for God's glory. And for him, it was football and baseball. And you cannot look at that guy's life. Man, we could learn so much from him and we have as the church. I'm grateful for a kid like that, man. Pray for him. Because you want to talk about an incredible evangelist to the world because that dude has stood strong under incredible scrutiny, right? You wanna talk about an evangelist for the glory of Jesus. I'm proud of that guy. And I'm honored to call him a brother, right? But I mean, he has taken what God, and he even in press conference will say, you think I play baseball to make me, you think I play baseball to be famous? You think I play football to do all that? It's a means to a greater end. It's a means of maximizing the glory of God through Tim Tebow's life. And he happened to make me gifted at this, so I'm gonna maximize it. That's what we're called to do. That's what spirituality is, is, finding the glory of God in whatever you do, everything. So at every one of our campuses, if you guys will go ahead and stand, I just wanna challenge us this weekend. This is practical and it was purposely practical. This is the next part of the story. I'm not making this stuff up. This is literally what happened next. We, we saw last week one of the most spiritual encounters in all of the Old Testament. And so interestingly, the very next couple days, God's answer is, dude, take care of yourself physically. Don't be overdramatic. Your spiritual tank's low. And so Jezebel's voice is real loud. And I guarantee you at all of our campuses, the enemy has come in and messed with a bunch of you right now. It's messing with a bunch of you. So the question walking out of here this weekend is simply, what does this season call for? And you gotta get it out of your head that, that every time there's a problem, you just pray more, fast more, and read the Bible more. Listen to me, that's an integral part. I think we preach that enough to prove that we believe that. But what we don't do you guys a good enough service is, is flipping it on the other side and saying, sometimes go bowling, go get a good meal. Go climb a 14er if that's what fills you up. Go get out in nature. Go put on those shoes and trail run. Go play a round of golf. Go play some tennis. Go shoot some hoops for a couple hours. Figure out what fills your tanks back up and go and do it for the glory of God. And don't apologize. Don't call it unspiritual. Anything you're doing to heighten and empower that spirit to be everything it's meant to be in this lifetime honors God. So whatever that is for you this weekend, if you would just before you leave, some of you it's mind, it's an intellectual thing that needs to, to, to grow. Some of you it's physiological, it's a health issue. 
And you need to draw a line in the sand right now and say, listen, I may have some health issues, but I will no longer just simply blame it on the devil when there's stuff I can be doing. And some of you, you got all that whooped, man. For you, it's spiritual, man. It's like, I, I need to, before I walk out of these doors, I need to re up on the discipline of prayer and fasting and being in God's word. Some of you, that's what you need most. The question is, what do you need most? Let's pray. I trust you guys to figure that out. And then we're gonna worship one more song on the way out of our doors. Heavenly Father, would you take this very practical message and would you sear it into our hearts? I pray that by the end of this next week, when we meet again, we will all be healthier people because we had permission from you and your word to see what matters most in life and to act on it and to move on it. God, give everyone in here that's making decisions about what they most need growth in right now and what they most need right now. God, I pray that you would give them the grace and I pray that you would give them the wisdom. I pray that you would give them the community of friends that are gonna encourage them on their endeavor, whatever that may be, whether it's more spiritual, more physical, more intellectual, put people in their life that are gonna root them on, not pull them down. God, anyone that thinks some of their hobbies, their things that, that they're less spiritual and they need to do, no, God, take away that mind game. As long as they're doing it for the glory of God, then do it all out. God, I pray that we walk out of these doors stronger than we walk in, and it's in the name of Jesus, amen. One of the greatest things we can do for our souls is just sing to God, man. It's, it's words on steroids. So we're gonna end our service at every campus worshiping God.